Okay, folks, let's, uh, let's dive in. And um, there we are, there we have it. So, so last week you had, um, you had a virtual kind of um, guest speaker. Um, if you were here last week, uh, Phil Shaw's uncle John um, from Trent Vineyard was, uh, was speaking at the National Leaders Conference of Vineyard and it was shown on the big screen. If you missed that, by the way, it's on, uh, on a website, it's on the Vineyard Churches UK website and I would encourage you to watch it. Brilliant, he did a fantastic job basically going through the end of chapter 2 of Acts and talking about the early church and he picked out facets of what the Lord is doing in other vineyard churches right across UK and Ireland. And it is just fantastic, spectacular stuff that God is doing through his people and through the church, through the local church, making such a difference and an impact in their communities where they come from. And it was just wonderful to hear all those things. And I know that several of you were really impacted by it. And thank you, those of you who've come and you've shared certain things and certain things that you believe God has been speaking to you about and that's absolutely amazing. Our desire, our hope uh, for us as, as we lead this wonderful church is to, is to release you into the things that God has given you and God has spoken to you about. So uh, thank you those of you who came and shared uh, what it meant to you and what you sense God is saying to you and uh, if there's more then please do uh, come chat to us. You join us at the second passage or the second chat, second section of chapter two of our uh, journey looking through the book of Ephesians and uh, it's a wonderful doctrinal letter. It's a letter for the church. It's a letter about the church that Paul writes to the people uh, of Ephesus. He writes it six to eight years uh, after he visited and planted the churches in Ephesus. He wrote it from a jail uh, when he was in Rome and uh, it's just this wonderful picture, this analogy of God's intention, his dream and his desire is to build a new people to unite Jew and Gentile, to, to create one people that would worship God. It would be a picture now here on earth, but also for eternity and for heaven um, as we spend our time with him there when we go there someday. Not too soon, we hope. Uh, and this is a picture, it's the picture of the church. And the, the beginning of the chapter two, we basically concluded two key things. That First of all, it is by grace that we have been saved. This wonderful free gift, this thing that cannot be earned, this thing uh, that we cannot save ourselves. It is just simply to be received. And then the second bit was that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he had prepared in advance for us. It talked about, it spoke about what Jesus had done on the cross for us as individuals, that we would have a right vertical relationship with him. That we as individuals would be right, that we would be made right with our maker, with our father in heaven. And so this second part of this chapter now speaks about our horizontal relationships with one another. As we talk about the miracle of the church, of what Jesus sacrifice upon the cross what it meant and what it did in at that moment and from now on and generations past and generations to come that he's creating this new people and that is represented through this wonderful thing called the church before we dive in i want us to consider some of the division of people groups within the world consider here in this country the Protestant, the Catholic, the division between the two groups of people. You could say the difference between Rangers and Celtic. 
You could say the difference between city and united. You could talk about black and white South Africa. You could talk about that. You could apply that same principle to many other countries and nations around the world where there's division, where there's separation. And there's often great hatred and contempt for one another. And remember, as we look at those, we ponder those things, that Paul is a Jew. And he is writing to a Gentile, a, a mainly Gentile population of which both uh, there was great division and great hatred uh, towards one another. So that's the introduction. Are you ready? Um, we're going to dive in. And uh, here's Elaine. She's going to read it to us. Yeah, we're, just, we're taking applications for a new position in Vineyard. We need a roadie for Paul to set up. <laughs> Somebody did that for him. Brilliant. Therefore... Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and are called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcised, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you are once, sorry, but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's not flicking. It's not flicking. Now you do that. For he himself is our peace, who has made two groups. One has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law which it commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access, access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and raises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Great stuff. I don't know about you, but as Elaine's reading that and you're trying to take in, trying to absorb some of that stuff, uh, that's, that's not easy reading, hey? That's not like the Beano, okay? That's not like the Sun newspaper. Uh, that, that's like a T-bone steak right there, isn't it? You're in there and go, flipping, what does all that mean? All that language and all this. And I have to be honest with you. I'm, I'm a PE teacher, right? I'm not an English teacher. This stuff for me is pretty tricky. And it's, and it's been the most challenging one to prepare. So uh, uh, that's my disclaimer if you think it's rubbish. Um, it's, it's tricky stuff, but you know what? At the end of the day, God calls us to, to get into his word that Paul has written for our benefit. Okay, so we must do that. And uh, I must do that, but you must do that also. So uh, let's dive in. We're going to split this into three different uh, sections. And the first one is this, is that you were without hope. We were utterly separated from God. And the plight of our existence was utterly hopeless BC. BC meaning before Christ. Before Christ came all those years ago, we and the Gentile people that Paul writes this letter to were utterly hopeless. They were without God. 
Um, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. It's like the, the Jewish people, the ones who are called the circumcision, they once spoke of the Gentiles as the uncircumcised. Now, the word birth is better translated as the word flesh, and it highlights really the difference between Jew and Gentile. The Gentile people were completely separate from God's special people, Israel. The special people who are Jews. The special people who had this covenant passed down to them called circumcision. And it was a human thing done by man. But it was, it was intended to have this covenant love relation, relationship with God. And yet for both Gentile and Jew, we were separated from God. We were utterly in utter hopelessness. And what God and what Jesus obviously does on the cross, which we look at, um, restores and gives us the hope that we needed. Jew versus Gentile, the division was of bitter hatred, much like there still is today within Jews and surrounding Muslims of the surrounding area. Uh, you may know of places still today in occupied Israel. The West Bank is a classic example. The Jordan Valley is another area where Muslims still live today. And there is great, great uh, division in those areas. There's big, big peace walls that separate the two. And you probably hear on the news sometimes, you know, uh, there's, we sometimes think what goes on here is bad. It is. In certain areas, it's really, really bad there too. I remember... Um, many years ago, I was in Israel, and uh, we, I was, lived on a kibbutz, which some of you might have heard of, and I was there for a number of weeks, and we lived really near to this town called Jericho. And those of you who know Joshua, the book of Joshua, and it was seven times, and then all the rest, and it all came down. And, um, you know, Jericho is a, is a, is a Muslim-occupied place, and you did not want to be a Jew spending much time around this place called Jericho. Much of this land is similar to what we have here. But the Jews held Gentiles with great contempt. Jews said that Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. It's nice. Jews said that God only loved Israel of all the nations that he created. Jews were not permitted to help a Gentile woman during her time of labor. For the simple reason another Gentile was coming into the world. And if a Jew married a Gentile... Boy or girl, man or woman, it was considered that the family would have a funeral because they had lost their child, almost to the point of death. There was bitter contempt and hatred due to the differences. But prior to Christ, this existed. Remember again, though, that Paul is Jewish and he is speaking to a Gentile uh, audience. Before Paul gets to the good stuff, about what Jesus has done in creating the church. He wants the Gentile people in Ephesus to know of five differences that they didn't have. And uh, first of all, that they were separate from Christ. I've sort of mentioned that already. The expectation of a Messiah, the chosen one, the Son of God, was due to come through the Jews, through the nation of Israel. It was an Old Testament thing that they, they and many still do, think that the Messiah is still yet to come. He's already been, and he will come again. And then secondly, that they were not citizens of Israel. Gentiles were excluded from the Jews. They were the people of God. They didn't have the benefits and the promises that they had. 
They were basically outsiders. It's a bit like an Englishman living in Northern Ireland. You know, treated with bitter contempt and hatred and words spoken against them. Especially when we play each other at rugby and, uh, and other things like that. Thirdly, they were foreigners to the covenants. They were not the people that had received these special promises from God, which were passed down through Abraham, through Moses, through David. And because of these three things, the Gentile people were without hope and without God. And Paul wants his readers, he wants his people there to know that. He wants to know that they were once, before Christ, separated from God and without hope. But in verse 13, the language changes. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The revealed mystery of the gospel, which we read about in chapter 1, is now included for the Gentiles. And Paul wants his readers to be absolutely clear the desperate state that the people were in. But God is not simply adding the Gentile people but he is establishing a new people, both Jew and Gentile together, under the headship and the lordship of Jesus. And this new people is the church. And that's our second part. Let's quickly read it again, kind of get it fresh into our minds. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. That's the new people out of the two people making it one. Thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both, both Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father through one spirit. Firstly, Jesus himself is the peace. It's him. In him and through him, he not only reconciles and renews broken factions between the two, but he creates a new people. And it's his picture, it's that photograph of what it will look like for eternity. Peace, the word peace in the Old Testament is better translated as wholeness. And in him and through him, He is releasing wholeness to us as individuals, but also to us as a community. How does this apply to us? It's obvious, really. He wants to bring peace to us as individuals. Translate the word. He wants to bring wholeness to us as individuals. And we often talk, don't we, in church about how we're a broken people? And that's absolutely right. Due to things done to us, due to things that we've done to ourselves, There is a sense of brokenness. But Jesus wants to come and heal the brokenness and to give us peace. But also, because of what he's done, this vertical relationship, he calls us to do this in a horizontal way. And sometimes that's messy. Sometimes that's awkward. Sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes that's painful. But because of the cross and because of Jesus creates this one body, he wants to do that in us and through us. And so that means that this morning, as a congregation, as a people, he wants to create a sense of wholeness and a sense of peace amongst us. And not only that, much more importantly than that, 
He wants us to do the same within our wider community, that we would go and we would bring peace, that we would go and bring wholeness to places and to people and communities where there's brokenness. We've spoken about this many, many times before. Jesus' flesh broke the barrier and that man's flesh, that man's flesh had created. He destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Jesus breaks down the barriers that man had made. He breaks them down. The commandments were given to Israel. They were things to kind of create a right relationship with God. And yet man took those ten really good things and created loads and loads of man-made laws. And they were all made with good intentions to keep rights and to have a right open relationship with God. And yet they became barriers. And we in the church, we have to be so careful that we don't create barriers to people entering into relationship with Jesus. Because we do it. Consider ourselves. Consider the wider church and think about all the different things. All the things with good intentions that are to keep right with God but actually become barriers with God. That's why I love the fact that we dress the way we dress in our church. We don't have to get suited and booted and all the rest. And, and that's not to say, it's not disrespectful, but that is just something it's that, that we like to do. It's just, this is who we are. You, what you see is what you get. And we must always guard against barriers and things that would stop people coming to God. You speak to anyone outside of church and you ask them about what they think about God, they will tell you some truthful things. God is love. God is caring. God is close to to me when I feel down and when I feel broken and many people would think like that and many people would say that you ask them about the church those of them who don't go to church and they would not necessarily give the same picture would not necessarily give the same answers we need to guard against things that are barriers I remember when we started meeting in this school uh, someone came to me and um, and they said you know what you see the flag how do you say it here flag see the flag you know, we, we as a school, um, we, we have the Union Jack and it's put up and it's taken down each day. And sometimes the caretaker forgets to do it and it's left up over the weekend. And uh, don't get me wrong, I, I haven't got a problem with any flag, right? In fact, the Union Jack is kind of, I was going to say my flag. Um, but, you know, I was, oh, that's wrong, wrong, right? easy, easy, easy. I was about to say that. I didn't say that. I was about to say that, right? Goodness, I'm on dangerous ground. I know I'm on dangerous ground here. This is not being recorded, this bit. Hit pause. <laughs> or I could have a knock on the door. Or a few knocks on the door. Um, but, but I remember someone saying to me, it's like, you know, everything's great, school's working well, the Union Jack. And again, the person who said it to me didn't have a problem with the Union Jack. But they were seeing it through the eyes of someone who might not necessarily like that flag. And think, goodness, that for them could be a barrier of coming to Carrick Focus Vineyard Church because that flat, and I think you're absolutely right. We don't want to put in our place anything, any barrier that will stop a person coming to Jesus. Because in Jesus, because of his death, he broke the barriers. He, he took all that away. And he says, come to me, come to me, come to me. Thirdly, uh, the body of Christ. Have you ever pondered that term that we're considered the body of Christ? It's kind of... Sometimes you think, oh, that's, that's nice, but that's a bit weird. 
His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Through the cross, Christ's broken body, he reconciled Jew and Gentile to create this miracle of the church. One body, one people under the headship and the lordship of Jesus. What an honor. What a privilege. Isn't it amazing to be church? Uh, We prayed this morning and someone prayed along the lines of God. We thank you that the one thing we have in common is you. I love this. Like, look around you. Go on, have a look, have a look. Have a look at each other's lovely faces. It's like, you know, there's some people I've got loads in common with. Okay, you know, if it's things that I'm interested in, things that I, I like to do and all the rest, or similar stage of life. And we connect on that level really well. No offense to you. There's some of you that I have very little in common with. Okay, and that's not you and it's not me. It's just we're different. And it's the same. You apply that right across here. But the one thing we have in common is him. I love doing small group, life groups, right? I love it. I mean, the group we've got going at the minute, our Vineyard Values group, it's a collective mix of people from different backgrounds. And the one thing we have in common is him. It's him who unites us together in one body, in one people. And it's absolutely brilliant to be part of. What an honor to be part of the body of Christ and the body of of Christ here in the town amongst other churches. We'd love to be a part of the family and what he's doing. And it's an honor. Um, the, the Catholic Church is part of that also, right across the whole of Ireland. We are, and one day Jesus will come again. He's not going to come for the vineyards and the Methodists or the Anglicans. He's going to come for the body. And that's all of us together. And that every uh, one day, every color and ethnicity and language we will worship him for eternity, forever and ever. One people or one God. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Through Jesus, through the cross, through the blood of Jesus, we have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. And we can come to him together today in confidence, in confidence because of what he's done. We had a word, and we're going to do communion today. We had a word, someone had a word, a picture of someone, I don't think it's someone, I think there's some ones who you just feel this sense of, I, I just can't come and do communion this morning. I just don't feel right. I just don't feel good enough. And the truth is none of us are. You know, if we were all to stand there in the line, and, and none of us are worthy enough to do that. And that's why he did it. That's why we do this bit as we line up. If you know and love Jesus, even though you're met, that's okay. You come because of what he has done. I love the picture of the curtain, the curtain that was torn in two when Jesus died and it was finished, it was done. Torn in two, that, that curtain separated man to the most holy place within the temple. It's where the presence of God was, it's most holy. It was the one place where the high priest was allowed one day per year to enter in, in behind that curtain. The reason, because the presence of God was so tangible. And because us, in our humanness, we're so unlike God, that in his presence, people could, that the high priest could die. Apparently, they used to tie a rope to the leg of the high priest who would go in in case he snuffed it. And they would pull him out with the, with the rope. Apparently, that's what they did. The Holy of Holies, that place was torn in two when Jesus died on the cross, that we might have life in all its fullness.
In the third section, I know I'm going on quite a bit. Uh, the church, do we look like this? I'm not going to read it again. Um, Paul said to the Ephesians, you are no longer foreigners. You're no longer those Gentiles. It's not like that anymore. But you are fellow citizens of God's people and of his household. We too are a part of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And it's unlikely that Paul was referring in this passage to the prophets um, and the apostles of the Old Testament, but of the New Testament, the people that actually met and saw the risen Jesus. And thank, thankfully, those guys that, got, that Jesus imparted his life to documented the things that went on so that they're there for our benefit, so that we can preserve, that we can preach and that we can obey the things that were written in the New Testament. And we build, we build on the foundations that they set uh, for us. And in that, Jesus is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. This is um, a passage which is picked up on from, from the Psalms. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus quotes it himself in Mark 12, and Peter elaborates it further in 1 Peter 2. The chief cornerstone uh, not only held the position of honor within the building, but it was integral to the building in terms of its stability, but also for its future development. Without the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, the, the building uh, wouldn't be uh, right, really. And it's quoted here that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. In the same way, Jesus' position within the body of Christ is integral to the church's stability and everything else centers around it. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And the church is intimately related to and dependent upon Jesus. We must always be aware of the presence of Jesus in every facet of what we call church. And if he's not present, then we need to ask why. Couple more things and then we're done. The, the third thing here is that a church that is always growing. It says here, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Being built speaks of growth, speaks of continuing to be built. When you build a house, you normally live in it. And that's it, you just settle but sometimes some people build extensions, don't they? They want to make it bigger. And we as a church, we need to know that we are a church that are being built. We're never going to be built. We're being built. And that speaks of growth. That speaks of building an extension or a wing here or a new ministry there or a new group there. Or maybe a building one day that we can meet in that continues to grow and grow and grow. And we'll have a loft extension and a, and a west wing there and a pastor's retreat there. And that was a joke. And, you know, it's a church that's always evolving and is always growing. That we would never sit back and be content and go, ah, this is us. Ah, this is us. We don't want anyone else to come. Just keep it nice. Just keep it together. Otherwise, no, we must always be growing numerically but equally of equal value that we as his people as his body are growing spiritually and remember the word for our year for us as individuals is to grow up 
It's to grow up. It's to deepen in our relationship and our faith uh, in God. We are coming into land. We are his people in whom his spirit dwells. And I'm so glad that God lives in me. I'm so glad I have the Holy Spirit that dwells in me. That he empowers me. That he heals me. That he convicts me. And that he comforts me. I'm so glad of the Holy Spirit that we each have. And we say here, more of him. More of him here and less of me. Because we need the Holy Spirit. It's only him who changes us. And those of us, we, you know, we're, we're running and running and running and we're trying to do life. And it's busy, it's hectic and everything's whirring around the head. And it's just like, stop, rest, relax and invite him in. He's enough. He's enough, folks. In him and through him, he's enough for us. We're God's new people, created as one body, and we're marked as people of his presence. When people visit us, I hope that you experience his presence. I hope you're welcomed by us as his people. That's really important, and I hope that that happens. But I equally hope that you meet him and you meet his presence here. And not only that, the people that will come and get a bag of groceries from us during the week, that they experience his presence. When they do the cap money course, when they, do, uh, when they come and have a cup of tea on a Friday morning at rest, when they go play football on a Monday night down at the 3G, that they're meeting with people because we're people of his presence. If you know and love Jesus, you carry his presence. You're a dangerous weapon. Look around you. You're a dangerous weapon because of what, what God's put in you. Last night, I was getting off a plane. Um, I'd been away with the school for a week. And uh, we're in a queue and we've got all the kids. And I'm thinking, oh, please, God, just get them back to their parents. <laughs> Bad enough. And um, we're in this queue. And this, this other party of older folks have been away two and they're on the plane this is one bloke who's just absolutely hammered like he's just drunk as anything and I recognized him on the flight going out and he was on the flight coming back and I'm thinking oh no this bloke is just a mess you know <laughs> I shouldn't laugh I'm laughing coming to land and he's puking up in the bag and everything it was just awful but we're there and and if I'm really honest my humanness I'm like oh man you're such a state you're such a mess mate you need to get that sorted you need to go get help and, and that's like just being contemptuous, isn't it? Is that, is that a word, contemptuous? That's a really good word. I quite, that's inspired. That's certainly not me. So I, I just, isn't that like, that's just part of our humanness that we would be like, oh. and I, I stood with him as we're going through passport control. And to be honest, I'm trying to protect my own kids from him going near them or even breathing over them. But... As I stood beside him, I felt just Jesus give me compassion for him. I was thinking, Matt, this is, you do need help. And you need the healer. Something along the lines, you're broken, mate. And, and I'm, I'm standing there and I'm just praying. I'm just I'm right beside him. He's unaware of what's going on. And I'm just praying the Holy Spirit. I say, come Holy Spirit. Just come. Come on this man. And give him what he needs. Give him your presence. Give him your peace. Give him your encouragement. Just come. Because that's what he needs. And he's searching. He's looking. He's looking at the bottom of a bottle. Many people 
Go searching there. Many people go searching other places. Just praying the presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes on him. And something, something, the carrying of presence of Jesus in me just rubs off on him, even though I don't even speak with a man. Because we carry his presence. And he sends us that we would be scattered servants. He's going to send us today as one body as we've met together. He's going to send us out to be scattered servants in our communities, in our homes, in our workplaces. As we carry his presence, that we give his presence away. Give it away and give it away. And that that one body becomes a larger body as one community. Under his headship and under his lordship. And we are well done. Amen. Um, amen, amen. Um, let's let, we, 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 we need to rush on, so we're going to rush on. We're going to uh, break bread and do communion. My goodness, that's a big bit of bread, Fugi. <laughs> I'm used to bread rolls, mate. <laughs> This is a bit of fun, right? I'm not cheapening communion. This is a holy thing. I'm just trying to make it fun. I'm sure. Anyway, shut up. <laughs> Jesus, and he, he has his disciples, he has his friends, and they're having a meal, and they, they break bread together. And Jesus just does the most amazing thing, and he says, guys, you know, this bread broken for you is my body. You do this in remembrance of me. And it's a sharing. It's, it was done in community. It was done together. And we do it together. We're going to do it together here. And it's in him, through his broken body, and through the shedding of blood, that he not only makes us right with him, but he also makes us right with one another. And that we do this as family. We do this as community. Through his broken body, he calls us the body of Christ. And so... As we eat and we share in his body, we say, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done, that you have died for us and you paid for us. And also, in supper, he takes the cup and says, this is my blood shed for you. This is the new covenant. This is the new promise that I'm doing in you and through you. And through my shed blood, you have access to the Father, to my Father, through the one Spirit. And you do this in remembrance of me. And we remember you, Jesus. We say thank you for your precious blood shed for us. Amen.